Good morning. Happy New Year. How's everybody doing? Everyone keep their New Year's resolutions thus far? Who has? Everybody still good? No? It's not very promising. Right? Who, who didn't even make a New Year's resolution? <laughs> yeah. I, I ran into somebody this past week who um, I asked him what his New Year's resolution was, and he's like, every day is a New Year's resolution. So uh, if you didn't make a New Year's resolution, then there's hope still. So every day, right? My name is Josiah. Um, I'm one of the pastors on staff. Um, it's my joy to bring God's word today. Pastor Ryan is out of town. He's on vacation with his family in Silver Bay, New York, believe it or not. So if you keep up with him on social media, uh, you can see that they're having, a, well, the kids are at least having a blast with all the snow that's going on up there. But i um, glad he gets some time away. And uh, the, I think they are really enjoying themselves. But he sends his blessings as he misses everybody. Um, we are starting a new series today. As Mike already said, it's called On Earth As It Is In Heaven. This will be um, a quick series, only four weeks long. Um, but I believe a pivotal one and one that God has placed upon the hearts of your pastors uh, to preach. And we have handpicked uh, a few social issue topics that we're going to be unpacking in the, uh, in the weeks to come, exploring God's Word as we do this to help us better understand them, give us a platform for them, because our world is longing for justice. And our world is looking, if not directly uh, in its peripherals, at the church. Um, and some look to condemn, yes. Others are desperate for answers. Others are seeking right answers on what to do. It's, it's never our motivation to look good in front of the world, to just do what you know, we ought to do um, because we want to look good, but it's our motivation to do what God has called us to do, commanded us to do through his word. And so that is going to be our task the next few weeks, to look and see what Jesus has taught us. If you've been at Crosspoint for any length of time, you know that uh, we talk a lot about the gospel um, every week. We cherish the gospel. We hold it high in our service. Um, it's been said that as if you're lifting up a jewel, a precious jewel, and, and you turn it, and you keep seeing new angles of it. You keep seeing new facets of it. With every new facet, you see a new beauty of the gospel. You see a new dimension of God's love for us in the gospel through Jesus Christ. Did you know, though, that as we do this, as God shows us, reveals to us His truth, that it demands responsibility on our end. Tim Keller writes this, Most people know that Jesus came to bring forgiveness and grace. Less well known is the biblical teaching that a true experience of the grace of Jesus Christ inevitably motivates a man or woman to see justice in the world. There are things happening in our world, even in our backyards, our downtown city streets here, that are extremely challenging, extremely complex and nuanced. And when the church discounts, overlooks, or tries to offer simplistic answers to these issues, then the world discounts our voice and worse, we diminish God's glory through that process. It is our responsibility to take these issues seriously. It is our desire in this series to allow God's word to shape and influence a conversation that needs to happen, that needs to be regarded. Many issues, and then for that conversation to take place on the ground, in our community groups, with our families, with our friends, with our coworkers, and even, yeah, those who are different than us. 
to start a conversation here and then allow it to filtrate into our community groups. Because the truth of the matter is, without us talking about these issues, um, at best, we, we don't realize, we neglect, we're blind to the chasm that is between our brothers and sisters' realities and our own. At worst, we, we hurt our brothers and sisters. We cause harm to our brothers and sisters because we don't understand each other. And so the point is that we would have a conversation that would be healthy um, regarding this. So next week, as Micah, our, um, Carrie already mentioned, we're, we're relaunching our community groups. We have community regroup. And then uh, instead of just diving into uh, a new Bible study, which we typically do, we're going to take the first three weeks and we're going to come together for a meal. And we're going to do this for the purpose of fostering a conversation around some of these issues that we begin on Sunday mornings and then hopefully create a space to have healthy dialogue. Now, for, uh, for many, uh, this might be um, pretty difficult um, because, you know, these are tough conversations to have. These, maybe you've never talked about some of the things that we're going to talk about. Um, for some of you, maybe this is going to be really easy. If you're, you know, really obnoxiously opinionated, you know who you are, um, this might come, you know, easy. But here's the thing. We, we need all voices. We need both voices in this, Right? Matt Chandler said, if we can't have the conversation in the church, where can we have it? We must have this conversation. You're going to hear more about um, this next week as we launch this. But our primary purpose this morning is to answer the question, why justice matters? Why does justice even matter? There are all types of justice, political, social, economic, moral, public. Um, the definition is the maintenance or administration of what is just, the impartial adjustment of conflicting claims, the assignment of merited rewards or punishment. The Bible um, categorizes it this way. Justice means fulfilling mutual obligations in a manner consistent with God's moral law. The Hebrew word justice is mishpah, meaning making right decisions according to God's commands, it literally means a verdict. But here, in the context that we just read in Micah that we're going to be looking at, um, the prophet is speaking here in a more abstract form of the word. It means justice, including one's right or privilege. I come to you this morning not as one who has many years of knowledge and experience on this subject. I don't come with a degree in social justice, social economics, I don't come with even as someone who has lived a life of um, unfettered or just outright devotion to seeking justice for all people. I come as a, a, someone who needs to learn, who needs to grow, who needs to be humbled, who needs to repent of my lack of seeking justice for others, my failure in this in many ways. Confess and repent of turning a blind eye and a deaf ear to the needs that are in my city streets. I come to you today as one of your pastors, but hopefully there is no mirage about who I am. I, like you, need a Savior that's big enough to conform my desires, to ruin my prejudices, to help me take captive every thought so that I might not sin against God. And I invite you to the idea, to the possibility that every person in this room harbors prejudices. 
whether we see them or whether we don't. And this, these prejudices God does not take lightly, and nor should we. And in fact, this passage that we read is an indictment that God brings to his people. What a way to start off right, the year, right? And a light note, just that. <laughs> um, but here's the deal, you know, new year, new me, right? We're going to get this right. That, but can we be serious? I mean, this, guys, this is an opportunity for us to look at our lives, to examine ourselves and say, if I, Father, have walked away from your word in any manner, even the slightest, correct me. Correct me. As I begin this year, in the deepest sense, I want to I make a resolution that, that, that is not just about you know, how healthy I am, that's good, not just about you know, the, the things I choose to indulge in, all that is, is extremely good, but the deepest in my soul, in my heart, God, examine my heart. And if there's something there, then I want to confess it, repent of it, and walk in light, in line with you, in line with where you call me to. So, chapter 6 is an indictment on God's people by God himself, delivered by the prophet Micah. Being a prophet was not a very fun job. Um, you weren't exactly popular with your audience, especially when you had to lay down the hammer like Micah does here, right? He invites the people of God and all of creation to contend with its creator, to make an argument before him concerning its actions. And here's what God tells him. Verse 3, O oh my people, what have I done to you? See, our sin is it's not... Whether, whether it's by commission or whether by omission, our sin is never just this abstract, um, it's never this unperceived event in the universe that happens and it's disconnected from any kind of real consequences. No, our sin is always a personal grievance against a personal God. He says, oh my people, making it very personal, my people, what have I done to you? God considers Israel's actions here towards others a slap in the face against him, firstly. What have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me, he says. Giving them opportunity to defend themselves. What have I been unfair to you about? What have I been unjust about? So, that, so much so that you be wearied by what I've asked you to do. And he goes on, I guess Israel is silent in this, has no answer. So he goes on to give examples of how he has fulfilled his justice, his righteousness. He gives six examples. I've delivered you from slavery in Egypt. I made a covenant, or I gave you leaders um, for you, to direct you, to care for you, to protect you as good shepherds. I made a covenant with you that no man, not even the mighty king of Moab, Balak, could break or come between I moved quickly and severely, swiftly to give judgment to anyone who would come between the covenant I made with you, my people, in Shittim. I granted you safe passage over the Jordan River, away from your enemies in Gilgal. And it is there that I reestablish my covenant with you through circumcision. Why do I remind you of these things? So that, in verse 5 he says, that you may know the saving acts of your God. So that you may know 
Why does God use these examples? He reminds his people of his faithfulness and thereby strengthening their faith in him. He has not oppressed us with his requirements of us to weary us. No, God's requirements to those who have, been, have a regenerated heart, who have new life in Christ Jesus, his requirements are not burdensome, 1 John 5, 1-5. through His requirements are not burdensome to us. They do not weary us. This is because at the core, we know that his commands are for our good. We know that we don't, we know that he is good. But we don't know this, and therefore we don't obey God unless we're reminded that he is faithful, that he is good. Your obedience to the Father, church, your obedience to the Father is in direct proportion to your knowledge of him. Your obedience to the Father is in direct proportion to your knowledge of him. Our knowledge of God informs our understanding of his actions, and as a result, it increases our faith in him. You want to become a more obedient and steadfast Christian, then you need to strengthen your faith. And how do you strengthen your faith? You strengthen your understanding of the object of your faith, God. I need to know God. I need to know that He's faithful. That I put my faith in Him. I put my trust in Him. And then when I understand that His character is good, always for my good, His commands must be, and therefore it is a joy to walk in them. It is a joy to follow in them. God has required obedience, but obedience takes faith. Faith to believe that He always has been righteous and everything has done, even when it appears otherwise. The faith of God's people is strengthened in the present by recounting the saving acts of the past. God's indictment is not for our harm. It is never for our harm. For God does not warn his enemies. He warns those he cares about. He comes with a warning to say, I love you. Don't go any further. And what does God require of us? Well, it's not the sacrifices, it's not the burnt offerings, right? The prophet tells us this. I love that we just finished up a huge discourse on this in Hebrews. Um, By the way, we're going to be picking up in Hebrews again in the first week of February. We just finished this huge discourse of um, that God does not require these um, sacrifices, these burnt offerings from us anymore. We have this high priest. I'm not going to go unpack that um, any further today, but notice the, the, um, the pattern here that prophet Micah lays out. He first says, should I bring a calves of a year old, right? How about thousands of rams? And then he gets even more ridiculous. Uh, Ten thousands of rivers of oil. How about my firstborn? Should I bring this before God? The the, um, scenarios and the the offers of the um, that he brings get more and more outlandish as they escalate to make a point that there is literally nothing we can bring before God of our own to appease Him. We want to ask, what's the price, God? Give me the price. What do I have to do? And God already calls us His people. He says, my people. My people. We are His. So what does He ask of us? Well, he's told us here, and he makes it very clear for us to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly 
with your God. To do justice. What is, why, why, um, why must we do justice? Simply put, God commands us to do justice. It's a, it's a simple thing. But, uh, um, there's many reasons, but very simply, God commands us to do justice. Zechariah 7, 9 through 10. Thus says the Lord of hosts, render the judgment, show kindness, mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. Let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. Isaiah 1, 17. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. I love that he says, learn to do good. Like, that we, there's this process that we all have to learn what it means to do good, to seek justice and to do what is right. We don't just come out of the gate just knowing everything and knowing how to do it. No, we have to learn together how to do good. Jesus' words are especially sharp to those who neglected to do justice. Hear what he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others, but you blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Matthew 23, 23 24. This week I asked my parents, who have run for 28 years a nonprofit home for medically needy children and abandoned children. They've housed and placed over 350 of these children. Why do you do justice? And my dad, my father, answered me in an email. He said, He says this God made everything. And we looked at it. He saw everything was good. Now he requires man's humble, obedient, and faithful, and just response. I want a faith that says, God, I'll give you 28 years. I'll give you 50 years. I'll give you 100 years. Call me. I'll go. Lead me. I'll follow. That's the example my parents set for me. I want to set for my kids. It says, if God commands it, I do it. God leads me, I go. Some say, that's just too simplistic. That's too simple. I need reasons. I need explanations for the command. Give me an argument for why the command is what it is. And God says, why? Why do you need this? Haven't I not given you everything you need? All I ask is that you do not take advantage of these things that I've given you. And you use them to work for your own advantages against and at the, at the expense of others, but that you leverage them, that you sow them, that you give them freely. That's what I ask of you. Spread my gospel. The Gospel Coalition, this is really good. They have a, a theological vision of ministry, and it reads this. We cannot look at the poor and the oppressed and callously call them to pull themselves out of their own difficulty. Jesus did not treat us that way. The gospel replaces superiority toward the poor with mercy and compassion. Christian churches must work for justice and peace in their neighborhoods, through service, even as they call individuals to conversion and the new birth. That's really important. That these two are not separated from each other, right? Evangelism and social justice. But even as they seek these things... Thank <laughs> you.
We must work for the eternal and common good and show our neighbors we love them sacrificially, whether they believe as we do or not. Indifference toward the poor and disadvantage means there has not been a true grasp of our salvation by sheer grace. Do you measure your life like this? I know that amidst the media and the political rhetoric and all the voices that tell us what to do and what not to do, what to value, what not to value, what's important, what is not, that it gets confusing, that our hearts become numb, that the people that we pass by every day, that we live with, that they just become white noise to us. But here's the deal, church. We, as a church, have been given the right instruction. We do know the correct path to take. We do know what is good because our God has shown us. We do justice not just because he commands it, yes, no less than that, but also because God loves justice. God loves justice. We also do justice because Christian justice is true justice. Contrary to the modern emphasis upon um, individual rights, The Bible is primarily explicit about doing justice for the poor, the widow, the orphan, and yes, even the immigrant in the context of a community, a biblical community. The Bible tells us that there is something the Christian understands about justice that the world does not understand. Here in Proverbs 28.5 says this explicitly, evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it completely. How does that hit you? How does that hit you? Like, do you really feel like you understand justice more than the next person? Is it true that a non-Christian can't serve others well and do good? The answer to the question is by whose name it is done in. Whose name it is done in. We, we know true justice because we know Jesus. He is our true justice. We do justice in no other name but his name. It is then that our serving is not an end in itself as it often can be, but it is a means for the gospel to go forward. And when we fail to execute justice for the needy, we miss out on an opportunity for the gospel to be adorned in our communities. We miss out on giving the real answer to why we do all this. It's because God cares for people. God cares so much, yes, that he gave himself for people. And this leads us to the next thing that God requires of us, to love kindness. Kindness can also be translated as steadfast love or mercy, God's covenant love for his people. Social justice is not the theme of the gospel. It's not even the main point of the gospel. We do not herald and cry, justice, justice, justice. No, we herald and cry, mercy, mercy, mercy. We do not make justice the main point, because it is not the main point of the gospel. We're not after justice because we didn't get justice. Who got justice? Jesus. We got mercy, and so we freely give mercy. Jesus received justice on our behalf so that we might receive his mercy 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. Our interest must be in this church, the atonement of Jesus Christ. 
As much distraction as the world offers and as to elevate one thing as important or this social justice issue at another time and then, and then they just flip-flop and you never know where I'm supposed to be spending my time. We spend our time on the atonement of Jesus Christ that offers mercy to all men. We spend our time there. We plant our roots there. We fix our eyes on the cross of Christ so that we may not be swayed, so that we may not lose focus. This is where, at the foot of the cross, true understanding of justice begins. It begins here. It begins on our knees in repentance. It begins by saying, I will walk humbly with you, God. I'll walk humbly with you in his last command here. See, none of this is possible apart from a humble dependence upon Jesus. When we understand that justice means more than just the particular issue that is popular at a given time or that we can care or that we care most about at a moment, and that it means justice for every sin that wages war against God's glory, every sin, that's humbling. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's big. That's a big task. This is a long quote, but I want to read it for us. It's really good. I wish I had it on the screen. I'm sorry I don't have slides today. But listen to this quote by Bryce Young. He says, Justice begins in repentance because we can't ask God to uphold just part of his justice on earth. Just bring justice to the unborn or to the refugees of genocide or to the evil men and women who would profit by killing children in the womb, or just bring justice to the men who traffic women into prostitution, or just to those who afflicted, those afflicted by racial discrimination in the world, or hatred. That is what evil men are asking for when they claim they're seeking justice. Remember Proverbs 28, evil men do not understand justice. That's what they're asking for when they and they're seeking justice. They think that justice is piecemeal, that we can separate the sins out there in the world from the evil that lies within every single one of us. But this is not the case. When we ask God for justice, we are asking, ultimately, that God's glory be vindicated against every sinner who dwells, who defiles that glory. Ourselves included. I find it interesting that these requirements, they fit real neatly into Jesus' summary of the law. And they're actually not three, but two. To love the Lord your God, to love others as yourself. And can we examine ourselves and say, and ask the question, what, do, I, do I do this? Do I love you, God? with all of my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength? Do I love others really as myself? We find ourselves at the foot of the cross, repenting, because we know that it's not true. That we often neglect, that we often overlook. That we often want to give simplistic answers the complex and real issues. Because we don't want to see what's in our own hearts. 
church, what we must do is come to God and say, God, would you show me? Would you show me? Because there has to be an acknowledgement first that I don't see everything. That I don't, I don't know everything. I don't even know my own heart the way I should. And we acknowledge that and we come before God and we humbly place ourselves before Him on our knees. We repent. God begins to show us. He begins to reveal to us how to take steps forward. I want to give us some practical um, steps that maybe you find yourself here and you're just like, I, have, I don't know how to seek justice in the world. I want to give us just some practical things, right? This is, this is what it could look like. Start with those closest to you. Many of us... Um, Many people will be willing to cross international borders, cross great oceans to go and serve others elsewhere, but we won't even cross the next zip code or the train tracks to do so. Who are those closest to you? Your neighbors. I, I call Orlando like just, it's a home of just a community of pockets, right? There's just pockets everywhere. Uh, generally speaking, especially if you live downtown, you're within a mile or two of extreme wealth and utter poverty. And even if you're not in a neighborhood that's really you know, mixed culturally or economically, you're in proximity of those who are struggling with pain, real pain, with real loss. Those who are challenged by, um, maybe it's educational um, issues, Economical issues, a loss of job. And these are realities for them. What about coworkers? Like our neighbors, we don't really get to choose are the people we work with, right? Um, most of the people I work with, really di- work with are really different than I am. We all have different backgrounds. We all have different things going on. And, and a lot of times we don't want to relate with them or we can't relate with them we won't even try to relate with them because of how different we are you know and and we might as well be on different planets at sometimes because our realities are so greatly different do you know the people that you work with do you relate with them do you listen to them and most of this isn't really even saying like here's what you have to go do it's saying a good first step is listening to other people Getting to know them. Listening to the background of their story. What about your streets? The, what about, uh, here's a suggestion, maybe going to a local school game, right? Cheering on the students, getting to know the parents. Getting to know who they are, why they're there. Maybe it's a school you would never send your kids to. But you go there because you want to relate, you want to know, you want to be involved. Get plugged in with a local ministry, serving with the homeless, victims of sex trafficking, domestic abuse, foster care or adoption, all of these which are problems in our own city at large. All of these issues. And these are your opportunities and no one else's. God has placed you in proximity around specific people. Yes, the heart of man plans his own way, but the Lord establishes his steps. It is God who determines the allotted periods in the boundaries of your dwelling place. 
Acts 17.26 and Proverbs 16.9. Here's the good news for us, guys. The good news is this, is, the, is what it, it says in that last verse, in, uh, last portion of verse 8, is that God does not send us out alone. He does not send us unchecked and like lone rangers to just go and do. What does he command of us? What's verse 8 tell us? To walk humbly with your God. To walk humbly with your God. Not in front of your God, not for your God, before your God, but with your God. Walk humbly with Him, for He is your God. This is the response when He says, your God is a response to when He calls you my people. He is your God. And to walk humbly with Him implies a constant prayer and watchfulness. A familiar yet humble converse with God. A familiar yet humble converse with God. Let me pray for us. We're going to stand and sing in just a moment. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your, how direct, God, you are with us. Because God, often we need it. Most of the time we need it. Spirit of God, would you come in a sharp way? Speak to us directly. Would you show us, as we just attempt in humility, come to your word and try to pull out all the truths and all the ways that maybe even the things that we want to skirt around often, we try to pull those out. Spirit of God, draw truth out for us. Apply it to our hearts. Would you show us what justice looks like? Would you show us what it means when Jesus, you said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Would we know the fullness of that? In greater ways, God, would you show us in our own realities, in our own neighborhoods, our streets, our houses, our places of work, the places we play, God, we admit, we confess to you that we often take the good things you've given us and we use them for our own advantages. And we try to build our own little kingdom where we feel safe and secure, thinking that security and safety is the ultimate goal in life. But God, ruin that within us. Show us how to take those very same things and to leverage them by just giving them to you by sowing them. And God, I pray that as we do that, you would grow, you would reap um, a large harvest of righteousness for this church, that we would see it in our time come to pass, that we would be privileged enough, blessed enough to be used by you in this world, in this space, in this time. And God, would you get glory through all of it in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and sing together, church.